0: since I've been able to contribute to the podcast, mainly because I've been settling into a new home here in Dallas. I have also started my post-grad work at Dallas Theological Seminary in their Masters of Apologetics and Evangelism program. I certainly have a lot to say about that institution, and just uh, a lot of what I've been noticing thus far, but I can table that for a further time, but I'm recording this on September 12th of 2022, and there is so much that we could talk about. I've been kind of at a loss of what to speak about here. At first, I was going to avoid doing a book altogether and just speak freely, but I decided to stick with the format that I set up for myself. I've been noticing a lot of topics worthy of discussion. Certainly the back-and-forth of the abortion debate is a hot topic, and the rancid nationalism in this country is certainly worth uh, getting its fair share of criticism. There's also a lot I would like to talk about with my institution, Dallas Theological Seminary. I I need a little bit more time there to fully gather my thoughts on what to say, but no doubt I will be saying something. There's also the up-and-coming 2024 presidential elections, and because we're in the year 2022, and because our elections basically begin the next cycle the moment the person is elected which just sounds so unhealthy, um, there's a lot to look out for already. But, to be frank, many people know me as being a religious person. I am an active member in the Christian faith. I really believe the core tenets of the faith. However, I've been at a crossroads with my faith. And... Not particularly with the tenants of the faith, but more or less the followers of the faith. Now, it's not a matter of them being sinful, as I believe I am too. And it's not a matter of us being hypocritical either. But it's rather a disassociation with reality. It is this constant scamming and deliberate lying and intentional disingenuous views of others. These are not self-righteous claims for me to be making because it is very much within our ability to purge these out of the faith and still maintain a healthy, orthodox, and, and honestly more genuine faith without them. Now, anyone that knows me knows I can talk for a long time on this topic. And I plan on being centered and grounded in this podcast. And so we move to the book choice for today. As I said earlier, I was hesitant on doing a book or not. And I also would like to refrain from focusing on Trump. I believe Trump is old news. I, I don't believe his following is old news, but I believe he is. And I think everything that can be said about Trump has been said. And if you're not repulsed and against Trump by now, there's no way me and my podcast can dissuade you. However, David Frum has written an excellent book here called Trumpocracy, The Corruption of the American Republic. And what this book does is, in my opinion, just brilliant. It focuses on Trump and his shortcomings, but more or less under the umbrella of his threat to society. I think in 50 years, this book will be able to be read as a warning for whatever political issues are going on at that time. To keep people aware of what happens when and how Social institutions and social norms can be deconstructed by a president or any uh, leader figure. And like I said, I think Trump is old news. But his followers and this completely destructive mindset that they have, well, that is here to stay. And I've seen enough young people holding this ideology, to know that it's going to be around for the next generation to absorb as well. So we have to learn to either come up with a solution or a way to maintain democracy in midst of this social threat. And I understand it's a little charged for me to say social threat, but that really is what I think is the case here. When you have consistent uh, distrust with social institutions, an outright denial of science, but on the flip side, a complete loyalty to lies and warmongering, I think that's a threat. And I think it's a threat to progressive societies everywhere. So we need to be aware and we need to come to grips with our situation now, I have a lot to say about Trump. I have plenty more to say about his cult, but I believe we have had enough preamble here. So, let's get into it. The book today is Trumpocracy: The Corruption of the American Republic by David Frum. David is senior editor at the Atlantic. He's also the author of nine books including the New York Times bestseller, The Right Man. And I want to note that he is a registered Republican. And that adds a layer of reliability to his claims. Because he aligns with the conservative party, his criticisms of it are not self-immolating. They can honestly be seen as defensive, and I don't blame him for doing a little bit of damage control. So... That is all I have to say about David. Uh, certainly need to read more about him to figure out where my uh, daylight is with him and his views. But this is not about David. It's about his book. And he does a great job opening up with the gamble that Trump made. He states that Trump gambled that Americans resent each other's differences more than they cherish their shared democracy. And this is easy to observe. In the public today david calls attention to the complete near ideological civil war within our country he harkens back to the times when republicans and democrats were getting along and i don't think this is possible today with the uh, extreme views of each side in the end i'll talk about the asymmetry between the two parties But to address where we are now versus how we used to be is a vital observation. And to give a good example of this, right on page one, he starts with uh, President George Bush's uh, re-election defeat in 1992 and what he said, and I'll quote it here for you. George Bush said, Here's the way we see it, and the country should see it, that the people have spoken And we respect the majesty of the democratic system. I just called Governor Clinton over in Little Rock and offered my congratulations. He did run a strong campaign. I wish him well in the White House. And I want the country to know that our entire administration will work closely with his team to ensure the smooth transition of power. This is important work to be done, and America must always come first. So we will get behind this new president and wish him, wish him well. Now I ask that we stand behind our new president, and regardless of our differences, all Americans share the same purpose, to make this, the world's greatest nation, more safe and more secure, and to guarantee every American a shot at the American dream. That certainly does not sound like a speech I would hear today, but we digress. And the rest of the book can kind of be viewed as a Trump comparison To that kind of mindset i mean when you speak of trump it is so hard to pick a starting point do you you start at his rejection of scientific observations do you start at his lies his endless stream of lies and then his lies about his lies do you start with his views on foreign relations His insulting the leaders of our allies. Or do you start with his insults at the leaders of our own local institutions? I mean, where do you start? Trump could have a clean history. There could be no Access Hollywood videos. There could be no um, audios of him saying the N-word on The Apprentice. There could never have been the corrupt Trump University, his millions of dollars worth of bailouts. None of that could exist, right? If we only knew of Trump from the year 2016 forward, he could still be eligible for the worst president in the world. Now, I I can already feel myself diverging off the book, and and it's going to be an Olympic sport for me to stay on topic without digressing into the black hole of my own Trump derangement syndrome. So, forgive me ahead of time. Um, David Frum then progresses to talk about one of Trump's early offenses, which is his champion of the birther hoax on President Obama. Um, there's a couple things to note here about the hoax. So, the hoax was accepted, in some form or another, by a large majority of Republican voters. Uh, Surveys in the final year of the Obama presidency found that only about a quarter of registered Republicans acknowledged that Obama was born in the States. The second thing to note is the awkward effect it had on Republicans in office. Because the intelligent ones obviously wanted to uh, put down this... Just stupid idea. But the reality is, they would lose so many votes. So you get these awkward moments of saying things like, well, I'm going to let the American people think what they want to think. I take the president at his word, but I can't tell you what to think. You know, just these people that cannot come out and outright say, hey everyone, this is, this is absolutely stupid okay, let's focus, the state of Hawaii said he's from here, how else do you think he got this far? Right? You, you would think a valid form of identification is required to even enter the race in the first place. Okay? The third thing to note is, the hoax almost instantly became decisive in the Republican Party uh, presidential politics. So, Trump seized on the birth of hoax in 2011, Shouldering aside its early promoters to emerge as the nation's preeminent denier of Obama's Americanism. Okay, so Trump almost came on the scene in politics with a lie. After this, David Frum gets into the enablers of Trumpocracy. He first touches on the Access Hollywood tapes where Trump says the infamous grab him by the pussy. Quote, he talks about uh, Trump's half-ass apology. After that, probably, I mean, to be honest, probably the only apology of Trump's entire life. After that, uh, David moves to a very uh, infamous idea, and, and that is the idea of fake news. Now, there is plenty to say about fake news, but we can keep it brief here. Um, this is an interesting case, so I'll just quote here from the book. In June 2016, a previously unknown website designed to look like that of a local TV station, WTOE 5 News, began circulating a false story that the Pope had endorsed Donald Trump. That first release generated about 100,000 engagements that month. WTOE 5 News vanished from the internet soon afterward. But in late September, as if carefully timed to enhance the Podesta leaks, another previously unknown site, ending the Fed, reposted the Papel endorsement story. This time, the fake story generated more than 1 million Facebook engagements, winning the honor as the single, most circulated fake story of the entire election. Okay, so, the... Initial one here of the Pope endorsing Donald Trump by WTOE. This is, this is probably one of the first legitimate fake news stories regarding Trump. And one of many, uh, to be exact. And David Frum does a great job covering uh, many of the fake news scandals under the Trump reign. David Frum also comments on, Some of the comments by Trump supporters? Just these ridiculous ideas of, well, he's not politically correct, but he speaks his mind. He says what's on his mind, and he doesn't filter it. When has that been a good thing? When have your parents taught you that? When have your parents taught you, hey, don't think before you speak. Just speak. We would never do that. So why are we bragging and admonishing that the leader of the strongest country in the world does it? What hypocrisy? There is just an overflow of ridiculous comments. Things like, well, he's a businessman, and running the country has to be similar to running a business... I don't know where people got that idea. Other ones are, he's shaking things up. Well, what does that mean? What does shaking things up mean? But that's what you hear from these people. You'll hear that most of all. I'm, I'm just glad he came in and shook up the system, made everyone real uncomfortable, You know, gave us the wake-up call, the, the one that we needed. What does this mean? He certainly shook things up. Is that what we needed? Is that what Obama had to hand off to? Someone to shake things up in this manner? It more or less appears the average Trump supporter has a simple script. And the script entails well, you know, he's not politically correct, but he just speaks his mind. And well, he's good for the economy. And, well, he got famous. You know, he's a billionaire. And, of course, he's shaking things up. Once you dig in to these statements, there is a famine of content there. It, it is just nothing. It is empty statements. But uh we can talk about that later. In Chapter 3... David uh, talks about the appeasers of Donald Trump. And by appeasers, he means the basic Trump supporter, the the bulk of the identity cult. He opens up with talking about how a lot of Trump's rallying cry was around immigration reform. But the interesting fact is there were a lot of prominent uh, GOP donors and uh, representatives That were rather pro-immigration so here on page 36 he quotes paul singer one of the most open-pocketed gop donors made a six-figure contribution to the national immigration forum that spring later down he says marco rubio agreed on a plan that would create a path to citizenship for millions of illegal immigrants and substantially increase legal immigration limits for both high and low skilled workers however These instances are from the 2010-2013 era. Uh, It does take a grimmer turn around the Trump era. So, right on time, on July 5th, 2016, uh, an illegal immigrant named Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez gunned down a woman named Catherine Steinley. I believe that's how you say her name, Uh, Anyways, this was in San Francisco, and basically within a week of her death, Trump was in first place of the Republican field, and he wasn't before her death. So you see, actions around illegal aliens is sort of what a lot of the Trump supporters rallied around. And no matter what your position is on immigration reform, no matter what it is, it's extremely anti-intellectual to judge a demographic on an individual killing another individual. Right? You can almost guarantee this person had either a build-up to the event or some mental impairments. Right? This, this, other than that, if the claim is illegal aliens kill people, well, you have to ask why. Now, I don't believe illegal aliens kill people because they're illegal aliens. Um, <laughs> I, I can't believe I have to say that. It's not a separate species, right? It's, it's not a, a branch off of Homo erectus, right? So whether we like it or not, though, this was the sort of checkpoint for the Trump supporters. To bring the point home, aside from immigration, he presents a lot of depressing polling info. So I'll quote here. Polled in the fall of 2015, half of Trump supporters within the GOP reported having stopped their education at or before high school graduation, according to the polling from YouGov. Only 19% had a college or post-college degree, 38% 38% earned less than $50,000. Only 11% earned more than $100,000. Trump Republicans were not ideologically militant. Just 13% described them as very conservative. 20% described themselves as moderate. Nor were they highly religious by Republican standards. What set them apart from other Republicans was their economic insecurity and their cultural anxiety. 63% of Trump supporters wished to end birthright citizenship for the children of illegal immigrants born on U.S. soil, more than other Republicans. Trump supporters distrusted Barack Obama as alien and dangerous. Only 21% acknowledged that Obama was born in the U.S. 66% of Trump voters believed that Obama was a Muslim. I think it is safe to say that Trump designed a disease with lies and misinformation and then sold the cure. And not only did he sell the cure, he never delivered the cure. Right? People are complaining now about Biden's false promises. Meanwhile, almost all the reasons they voted for Trump, whether genuine or not genuine, Trump never delivered. Now, I have to be honest, I'm personally glad Trump never delivered on a lot of his promises. But when you point out these never-held promises to the Trump supporters, they will brush them off like anything else. There is really no winning here. But uh, I digress. Continuing into the chapter, he talks about how the distribution of campaign funds was handled by the Trump campaign organizers and... It is just depressing, right w- waiting last minute to write off the fifty million he loaned his campaign, right? putting twelve point five million of the campaign funds into his own business. Right? The Trump inaugural committee promised that any unused funds would be donated to charity. Right? Did we ever see a charity announcing the donation? No. And David goes through this with a fine-tip cone, and you really learn just how much malicious spending there is from the inaugural committee. David also covers how to make appeasers out of your enemies, at least for Trump's view. So the famous and depressingly hilarious case is that of Ted Cruz. Now... There is a plethora of things to say about Ted Cruz, and I'm not going to say them here because we need to keep this podcast in an appropriate time. However, Ted Cruz, from the birth of Trump, was quite hostile to him, called him completely amoral, a liar, a con man, a hoax, and then just the turnaround. You wonder what happened, because you see Ted Cruz in the phone booths calling people, hoping that they're going to support Donald Trump. You see Ted Cruz join the identity cult. He's now one of the biggest mascots. He might as well be Trump's personal cheerleader. From there, uh, David Frum talks about the reckless spending of Trump Whether it be flights, seeing that he had flown more than Obama's eight years in his first year, his consistent golf trips, right? Coming from the party that's so concerned about where their tax dollars are going to, this is just embarrassing to even look at. Later on, a common thing uh, done by presidents is you, you refill the seats in the court. Now, Obama did this pretty appropriately, making sure other jobs were lined up, people were taken care of, but Trump, in Trump fashion, well, he fired 46 of them overnight, okay? There was no warning to this, and upon that, he failed to refill the seats. He left them vacant For months. Okay, and when the names did begin to surface, it became clear why it took so long. These people were part of the identity cult. The names that came forward were pure loyalist. And this is just another example of the standard norms that were broken. So it's not technically the law that these get filled immediately. But it's just the norm. Another similar norm that's broken is the famous tax reports. That is all we hear about. We hardly know what it means. But it basically discloses income and where the money is going. So we can see if there's been any malicious ties to Russia or illegal businesses, what be it. And for decades, presidents have been releasing their tax reports. I mean, it's just normal. Technically, it's not the law, but it's just a norm. And as a democratic society, a healthy republic, we value that norm. And David Frum just surfaces all the information, or I mean, I guess lack thereof, of the Trump tax reports. It is just norm after norm being completely deconstructed. And it raises a deep philosophical question of, should there be laws to enforce norms? Well, as a freedom lover, I'm going to have to say no. But why are we concerned? The whole point is a norm is upheld. And if it's not, it's usually by someone delusional. right? You would never expect a president to defy healthy norms. Yet here we have one. And he's defended by people claiming to love America and America's values. It is painful to observe. Moving along here, David then covers the betrayals of Donald Trump. So so the people that hopped on his train who later gained some form of consciousness and their fate afterwards for such a crime. right? Donald Trump is not scary. He's certainly the closest thing to a coward as a president. But he does have the capacity to make someone's life hell. You see this in the example of uh, General McMaster. McMaster was a war hero. He was just a legend. Okay, now, after Trump has turned on McMaster... McMaster would be lucky to be on SNL, right? That, that's as good as it can be for McMaster now. So McMaster did the hard choice of, well, it's a hard choice that many people had. It's now that President Trump is here, do we quit our jobs or do we keep them and try to um, conduct damage control? Well, mcmaster chose damage control and a lot of damage control comes with criticizing trump but that ended up causing damage to mcmaster personally from also covers the fall of elliot cohen who is an anti-trump republican and the testimonies are they're painful to watch these people attempt noble acts in the face of trump and to be outed and turned on by their own party members, the people that have been inducted into this cult. It's horrible. So we are coming up on 30 minutes here. So in the closing part of the book section, I want to talk about something that's really important to me. And that is our view from a global relations perspective. So I'm glad borders exist, but... They are synthetic. They are man-made. Now, we're happy to have them. They help keep a lot of things in order on the global scale. But how you relate to other countries is very important, especially with our move towards globalism in the economy. What Trump did to America's position on the global front is... Nothing short of pure sabotage. On both ends. Not only did other countries view us as a laughingstock, but we have been conditioned to hate other countries. And by we, I mean not me, but the identity cult. So most Trump supporters hate Europe. They don't know why they hate Europe. They just know they hate it. Most Trump supporters hate South America. Do they have a reason? No, they they often put Venezuela in there, thinking that that is the same thing that Bernie Sanders is advocating for. But they don't actually have any real reasons. All they know is Trump hated them, so we do too. David gives some startling statistics here on other countries' views on trusting Trump. I'll quote directly out of the book here. At the end of President Obama's term, according to the Pew survey, 88% of South Koreans expressed confidence that the U.S. president would do the right thing in world affairs. In June 2017, only 17% of South Koreans expressed the same confidence. 78% of Japanese expressed confidence in Obama, only 24% in Trump. 84% of Australians trusted Obama, only 29% of Australians trusted Obama. In the Philippines, 69% trusted Trump. Uh, But, in comparison, 94% trusted Obama. In 2013, 38% of adult Mexicans described U.S. power as potential threat to their country. In the first year of the Trump presidency, that number vaulted to 61%. And the numbers don't get better. It says here, trust in the U.S. president to do the right thing dropped by 43 points in Italy, 57 points in the U.K., 70 points in France, and 75 in Germany. The Trump-Germany relationship started bad and got worse. November 9th is the most pretentious date in the German calendar, the day of the Kaiser abdicted in 1918, of Kristallnacht in 1938, and of the opening of the Berlin Wall in 1989. On the same morning in 2016, the German government awoke to the news that its American partners and protectors had elected to the presidency an authoritarian nationalist of an all-too-familiar stamp. Now, Trump is not a Nazi. I think it is possible to criticize him without giving him fake labels. A Nazi is a very extreme charge to give someone. Right? But it's the authoritarian stature of Trump that David Fromm is drawing a parallel line to. As the book points out, what Trump did to our foreign relations, is just horrendous. If one believes that a country can survive isolated from other countries, even if you're the most powerful country in the world, you will soon learn that your reliance on other countries is huge. And when countries enter conflict, and when you enter conflict, you certainly want your allies to be there for you. And it is David Frum's observation, and my personal belief, that Trump really harmed a lot of our foreign relations. Now, that will cover the book portion. As I say in every episode, I did not cover the full extent of the book. There is plenty of content here, and I recommend the book. It is a quick read, an easy read. ...but still full of content. I never want to leave people feeling they listen to the podcast so they do not need to buy the book. I really recommend you read it. And if you're a Trump supporter, give yourself a challenge. And if you're not a Trump supporter, learn how to properly address the cases against Trump. And I'll make that the first point in the op-ed section of this podcast. Here, I try to be as dedicated to reality as possible. Hence the name of the podcast. I don't believe we need to lie and misquote and deliberately, disingenuously take out of context things we stand against. So, I stand against Trump, but I don't need to take him out of context or view him in an unhealthy light to have a healthy case against him. So, let me give an example. Take Charlottesville and um, the protests that happened there. So, the Charlottesville incident is depressing. The video is hard to watch. But Trump gets on stage later uh, and he says there was good people on both sides, very fine people. So, the common tactic of the left is to say that Trump was calling the Nazis good people. So, I don't believe that's the case. And when you watch the speech by Trump, it's clear that's not who he's talking about. And for many people saying Trump did never denounce uh, white supremacy, that's simply not true. There's many videos of him, lazily, I'll add, openly denouncing white supremacy, saying he does not want those people voting for him, saying he's not affiliated. Now, whether we like it or not, that's the truth. But you don't need him to be a Nazi to have a good case against him. And here's the criticism to the left. If the left doesn't want another Trump, they need to get a grip on reality. The more they lie about certain cases, the more they deliberately take people out of context, the more out of touch they seem. And that's not a good tactic to get another guy in the house. If you, like me, are more dedicated to reality than your party, your religion, or your worldview, then we must be consistent with that. When Trump says he denounces white supremacy, that's the end of it, and we don't need that as ammunition against him. So, another example is the issue of children in cages at the border. Now, I'm a huge fan of Obama. As far as my political knowledge, whatever limit it has, goes, I love Obama. But it doesn't mean I can't criticize Obama, and it doesn't mean there's not anything there to criticize in the first place. So when the images surfaced of children in cages, we have to be intellectually honest and admit that that started with Obama, and it wasn't Trump's plan to start that. And these are just a few examples of when the left deliberately ignores information, in order to keep their morale up or their energy up, but you simply don't need it. The cold hard facts about Trump is enough to build a case against him. I'll say this, Fox News' coverage of Trump, which glorifies him and paints him as an awesome person, and clearly takes him out of context by saying he means good things, you can listen to the best interpretation of trump which is a lie clearly and biological sense not like him right so where trump brags about building a wall and making mexico pay for it and people are celebrating that you can use that you don't even need to seek out his mistakes his points of bragging and his points of success from the uh trump supporter lens Is enough to have a case against him. Now, I want to mention it one last time that I had a lot of hesitancy doing this podcast and picking this book because Trump is such an old topic. We are halfway into the Biden presidency. I'm also 22, so I don't know how many people are eager to hear a 22 year old's perspective. But for many people, Trump is a bad memory that they are digging a deep, deep hole in their brain, shoving them in, and covering it. And I can't blame them. The left and right have both buried this topic by always making it the center of discussion. But at the same time, I can't blame them, because every day you woke up, Trump was doing something newsworthy, and not in a good light. Like I said, Trumpism and the religion that Trump began, well, that is not gone. And I'll reveal one of the biggest motivators for me to make this podcast. So about a month ago, I watched Liz Cheney announce her defeat in the nominations. Now, speaking openly here, I don't know much about her. I don't know much about her policies. I could have hated them. But she was an anti-Trump Republican, and that is already enough to be on my radar. Now, I've been saying for about two years now, if the Republican Party wants to regain my respect, not that they're out looking for my respect, but for my own standing, if I was to vote for a Republican again, it would have to be someone who Values science, who values public institutions, who values reality. It would have to be someone who is militantly against Trump. And at face value, it looked like Liz Cheney was that person. Now, I understand her father was Dick Cheney, and the horror story that was Halliburton during the Iraq War. I'll let the listeners do their own investigations there but that was just disgusting but liz cheney is not her father right i don't need to look at donald trump jr and say oh well his dad's donald trump he must be horrible no donald trump jr tweets and has enough history with the russians to be despised of by himself he performs his own self-immolations At least to what's been revealed to me, Liz Cheney was very different from her father. At least different where it mattered. And it appears she had a wake-up call. And if you haven't seen the video of Liz Cheney announcing her defeat, go watch it. It is almost a tearjerker. Liz points out something rather ominous. She says, look, I've won this before. I could have won it again. Look at the numbers. I could have won. But that would require me to give in to a lie and support a madman. Right? She comes out and says these things, and I believe him. I really do believe she could have won. She knew what the people wanted, but wouldn't deliver. I believe Liz Cheney, in her defeat speech, was embodying the idea of, Give them what they need, not what they want. But in our system, we don't vote for people based on what we need. We vote purely on what. Meanwhile, all the Republican nominees are essentially mini-Trumpers. So, though Trump is old news, when you look at the nominees, his religion is booming. Trump is attending their rallies, he's supporting them, He's gathering donations for them. And a lot of them are saying stuff like, we're going to finish what Trump started. So if you think Trump is old news, as much as you and I want him to be, he's not. His ghost and his ideologies are looming over us like some pagan religion. At my college, I am already encountering people, students and faculty alike, that are denying climate change. I'm encountering them that are saying things like, seatbelt laws are a liberal scam. When I was younger, I never wore a seatbelt. I turned out fine. Seatbelt laws are for liberal policymakers. Well, this is the effect of Trumpocracy. This is the erosion of the brain of the Trump supporter. It is depressing. And I take a special anger to it because so many of these people associate with my religion. The religion that champions compassion, truth. Christians claim to have the corner on the truth market. We are supposed to be the people that know the truth inside and out and have an excellent method of how to ascertain it. Yet here we are, where we have a, a, a specific branch of us Denying that the earth is even round. Uh, many of us announce that climate change is just a liberal hoax. You know, because there's so much money to make in clean energy. And why would we take care of this earth? God's going to come back and fix it anyways. It is unbiblical for you to take matters into your own. You're playing God when you try to save this earth. right? This is the type of inadequate intelligence ...you encounter on the religious right. When it comes to wealth inequality... ...it gets even worse. They say things like, well, people deserve to get rewarded for their work. Well, sure. But what they're failing to calculate... ...is how much of that is luck. Right? So, I believe in free will. And I certainly need to... ...devote a podcast to talking about free will. But, like I said in the last episode... It is harder and harder for me to believe in free will. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple months, I don't believe in it anymore. And that's not a theological observation. That's an observation from neuroscience. It's just really hard to prove that free will exists. But taking that view into account, you did not choose your parents. You didn't choose your drives to work. You didn't choose your love for math. You didn't choose your time of birth, right? You're lucky you didn't get born in Somalia as a woman where you would be a slave for the rest of your life. You're lucky you weren't born as a Native American right when Christopher Columbus landed. You just got lucky. And your status of saying, I need to get rewarded for my luck. Well, again, I'm willing to concede that Hard work should pay off. But where are we getting the standard from? What is the margin of good work to money ratio? Right? Is it really just hard work? Or is there a lot of luck involved? Following that formula, people that mow lawns for a living, well, they should be billionaires. And people that wake up and press buttons on the stock market, well, that's hardly any work at all. So it's clearly not just about work. A lot of it's about luck. And as a society, we should be moving in a way where we reduce bad luck where possible, right? So we can't stop people from being born mentally ill or being born with one arm. But we can reduce the luck factor of wealth inequality, the wealth that you're born into, and the community that you're raised in. But what Trumpocracy has done Trumpocracy has made people hate the poor. You hear comments from the militant right that, well, poor people want to be poor. Did you know that they actually make more money than minimum wage? You hear these ludicrous claims that people want to be poor. Well, they love welfare. Welfare is their favorite thing. Why would my taxes go to that? So people can just sit around and play Xbox? Sounds like... They've never looked into the lives of someone on welfare before. And heaven forbid anyone try to humanize a person in poverty. This is the effects of Donald Trump. This is the milieu that he's put our culture in. Right? Hatred for other countries. Hatred for impoverished individuals. A selfish, focused idea on the self. Right? just a complete annihilation of public norms and just a pure insult to the Christian faith. And if you are one of the few people who voted for Trump because of his economic effect, which wasn't a good effect, well, I just want to end this podcast with a philosophical outlook on that. If I was a non-believer and I watched you sacrifice your moral beliefs. Right? I watched you say, yeah, women deserve respect, but I'm going to vote for this guy. The poor deserve respect, but I'm going to vote for this guy. Other countries deserve respect, but I'm going to vote for this guy. Yes, Jesus chooses love, but this guy has good economic policies. If I watched someone do that and justify that biblically, well that is a religion I would stay as far away from as possible. I was going to speak about abortion here and the trumpocric effect on abortion. We've had a lot of interactions with Roe v. Wade and the pro-abortion movement. I have a lot to say, and I believe it's more appropriate that I save that for another discussion. I wanted to keep this podcast as a sort of bird's-eye view of the effect of Trump. I know a lot needs to be said about abortion, and I know a lot of people voted for Trump on the case of abortion. I will leave with one reassuring fact, and that is that your political vote does no effect on abortion rates. If you're voting for Trump because he's going to lower abortion rates, well, bad news well, I guess good news. Abortion rates have been going down steadily for 20 years. But politicians have had no effect on it at all. Through the eight years of Obama, four years of Bush, and four years of Trump, the rates have been going down at an even and consistent rate. So your vote does nothing. It's been eight years liberal, eight years conservative, and no difference. So if that is your single-issue voting but your vote has no effect, you can drop those chains and enjoy the freedom of other options. Coming to a close here, I want to say keep an open mind. And I know everyone doesn't have the time to do a slew of political research. I don't. And I encourage any people who are more politically literate than I to point out my flaws in this podcast. And... Try to correct me. I embrace it. Um, I certainly want to be accurate with my statements. In my defense, a lot of this was quoting directly from David Frum's book, so if he's wrong, <laughs> it's on him. But I also want to reassure people that the Christian faith has a tangible effect on people. It does not remove sin, but it has a good effect. But the faith is not the eschatological sequence of the world. You can be faithful and still be devoted to reality and working on this earth. And you don't need to only help Christians. Christ didn't. Now, I'm not going to be one of those self-righteous Christian arbiters of where we need to divert our moral attention. but. If it seems like an injustice, it probably is. And you don't need to wait for someone else to take an action. You can. I am worried about the next election. It seems like it's going to come down to a Trump mascot and Joe Biden. But the truth is, it's only going to be four years. We made it through four years of Trump. We're going to make it through these four years of Biden. And then we can make it through four years of whichever one it is again. And from there, hopefully, our culture will have learned its lesson. The left will return to a sense of reality. The right will return to a sense of compassion and also reality. And from there, we can start to regain a lot of the land we lost through the Trump and Biden administrations. So, Again, I thank you for listening this far. Giving me an hour of your time to hear what I have to say just holds infinite value to me. And so, with that, I'll begin work on the next episode. Until next time, farewell.